Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. My name is Steph, and joining me are Ricky, Ram, and Awesome. Hello, chaps. How are you? Evening, Steph. Hey, Steph. Steph. Very good. Um, So, look, before we start, let's just make this clear. You may be listening to this podcast slightly out of sync because the rumours are swirling around that Nuno may not remain the manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, but he is currently still the manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, so I'm going to continue with my preamble, but just to say... If you're hearing this out of sync, know that that was the situation. Well, 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 times are certainly interesting around the lane as we all try to wrap our heads around the situation that saw our beloved football team hanging in and around the fringes of Champions League places, despite a plethora of perplexing and puzzling conundrums which just got deeper on Saturday evening as Tottenham Hotspur lost 3-0 at home to the equally challenged Manchester United. We have lots to unpack, including the elephant in the room, which has invited a few other pachydermic pals and is thus now a herd. That is Nuno Espirito Santos. As ever, if you've come looking for a random role, bye-bye and enjoy the rest of your day. If you've come seeking some more holistic views of our current situation interspliced with real talk, some strong opinions and a collected desire to try and identify a way out of this malaise rather than merely moan about it, good to have you with us and settle on in. But first of all, chaps, let's kick off this week's pod with our intro question, which is, ah, what's the most useless talent you have? Awesome! My uh, my useless talent is being able to say the French alphabet in about four seconds, which at my peak I could probably do it in about three and a half at school. Um, but yeah, it hasn't really got me far in life. Go on. It could get you far on this pod if you can do it in less than four seconds. That's about four seconds. Très bien. Très bien, on s'en dosson. Très bien. well done mate very good excellent very good indeed all right well top that ram because that wasn't actually that useless because it was kind of entertaining right (laughs) but yes i would agree it's not going to get him employed yeah um i had oh okay i i I had a choice of two i'm gonna go with one so the, the my uh useless talent is i am a maestro on the recorder like my party piece was being able to play green sleeves and I was all and uh yeah, I'm 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 a bit of a legend on the recorder. I don't have a recorder, unfortunately, to prove it. You just have to take my word for it. What's your other one while we're here? <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna do this one because I thought that it is actually a performance one and <laughs> Okay. So my other one is I can do a really good shit Alanis Morissette impression. It's no good without evidence. <laughs> no ram. Okay, okay. <clears throat> uh, tip of the tongue, tip of the tongue. <laughs> right. That doesn't sound a bit like it, yeah. but anyway, carry on. <laughs> All right, let me just get there. Okay, Let's, everyone, 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 close, close your eyes. Close your eyes, think back to the mid-90s. I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm short, but I'm healthy, yeah. I'm high, but I'm grounded. I'm sane, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm lost, but I'm hopeful, baby. And what it all comes down to is that everything's gonna be fine, fine, fine. Cause I got one hand in my pocket and the other one is giving a high five. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the Nuno Espirito Santo personal, personal mantra right now at Tottenham Hotspur, as sung by Alanis Morissette 
and interpreted by Ram and brought to you live by The Game is About Glory. Don't ever say that you have a useless talent, Ram, that has just given us a fantastic, fantastic piece of entertainment. I'm so glad you haven't got a recorder hanging around as well, because that was worth it. <laughs> Go on, Ricky. Come well, on. I don't, I, I, don't think, I don't think Ram's <laughs> talent is that useless. This is the thing about these useless talents. They're actually quite good. And I can't actually really top that at all. In fact, I couldn't really think of any useless talents, so I had to enrol... Um I had to enrol Mrs. Ricky in some of my useless talents, which would be uh, like not locking the front door when I'm the last one to bed. It's a useless talent. Um, not putting something in the fridge that she's left out on the side to cool down. Another useless talent of mine. And, um, but I do, I mean, I have, she has useless talents as well. Um, like she could not, not put screen wash in the car or oil in the car, although the dashboard has been like a Christmas tree with flashing lights for like multiple weeks. And she actually left my dear, forgot to pick my dear daughter up from gymnastics the other week and she's been traumatized for the last two weeks about oh, wow. it. So, you know, there's plenty of useless talents in our household. So, yeah. and I can't you know talk <laughs> but you know what? You know what? You have actually embraced the true ethos of the question because, by word, mm. your household is abundant with useless talent, Ricky. Oh, so yeah, well yeah. done on right, that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> right, indeed. Well, yeah. my useless talent, I will tell you, is that I can make this really weird clicking sound off the top of my, with my tongue and the, at the top of my mouth. And I can do it in all sorts of different octaves and I frighten children with it. So. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> But, I mean, it's absolutely useless, really, isn't it? It's hardly Alanis Morissette as no. sung by Nuno, or Nuno as interpreted by Alanis Morissette, I should say. It's hardly that. So I think that's a pretty useless talent, right? I'm surprised yeah. that's never been featured in an album, or has it? That's for inquiring minds to inquire <laughs> for certain people to know. So, on to the week that just was we go. And, uh, and, and actually, a really, really positive thing happened this week. Uh, we saw an Adelaide United player, Josh Cavallo, become the first top-flight professional footballer in the world to come out as gay. Uh, it was an incredibly brave move, and it's really heartening to see the supportive messages coming from footballers and clubs around the world, and, and supporters as well. Uh, so, I mean, just at the outset, we, we, we do want to say thank you to Josh. Uh, you're an inspiration. And, and chaps, do we think that we might see... Um, some premiership players here now who will have the you know the the bravery and fortitude to come out i think it's uh, it's definitely a platform now for um sort of uh, other top level professionals in the game to to come out and especially cuz uh, on the whole um uh, Josh's uh, the reaction to it was very positive um, I did you know I do hear lots of people saying that sexuality shouldn't matter or he didn't need to announce it but I think as long as people are getting discriminated and oppressed and murdered for their sexual orientation it is important and it's especially important in professional football so I really I think what he's done is he's creating a platform um, for more representation for LGBTQ it means more conversations more understanding and hopefully less homophobia and discrimination in the game because it's a very heterocentric game mm. um uh football but uh but yeah time you know let, let let's see if the if times are changing with this i think i do yeah i have hope with it i think um i think the trickle down through the kind of football family as we would call it is 
I think people are a lot more understanding and accepting of these things. And even, you know, we're not talking, I mean, it's never going to reach down to the bargain basement soccer fan because we know what they're like. But um, I think even if it gets to a level where people are kind of, if someone announced it and they just didn't comment about it, i.e. they were like indifferent about it or they were just a bit, that, that that's, that's, that's progress, I think. You know mm. what I mean? Because I don't, yeah. and I mean, I get it from the person that's coming out's point of view. I mean, it's a, it's a real tough thing for them because they're still thinking the landscape is, you know, it's a hard landscape, as you said, Rem. Yeah, I'll just add to that. I mean, it's been, um, I would say, kind of predictably well received here in Australia. But no, he's only he's only received good good feedback from what I've heard. I think the most interesting thing with, with homosexuality in football is going to be things like, you know, the World Cup in Qatar. Is that one of the countries where it's, um, mm. you know, strictly forbidden? And it'd be great if someone who is going to that World Cup could you know, maybe maybe take his lead and and come out on the on the eve of it and make them con, you know confront them with that. Yeah, it's an excellent point, and perhaps the timing of Josh's statement is perfect in that regard. That maybe a few uh, other people can take up what is a really important um, message for uh, the World Cup, and you know, and 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 actually football in general. I mean, let's be honest; it's 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 way overdue, and let's just hope that the support that Josh has received leads to other people feeling a comfort that they can be who they are in a public environment so well done josh we will get into the other feature of uh, the week that just was which was the uh, the burnley match we'll get into that a little later um but lads it was united let's just go there right now let's just get into this a saturday evening game two teams struggling to get a foothold man united field two of the oldest players <laughs> that you could possibly find uh you know a combined age of over 70 yeah and we put out a first team that sacrifices Reggie for Davis. Who wants to come in on that as a pre-match signal being sent as to how this game was going to go? Why don't, Ricky, why don't I invite you to, to, to get us off on, on, on a foot with, with how that decision struck you? Strictly on the Davis thing, I'm not quite sure whether that was a hangover from the... I mean, people say it's the hangover from the West Ham mistake, when, of course, he made the mistake at West Ham, but it, the ball then went for a corner, so a lot happened after that. And I would hate to think that a kind of reasonably small isolated event would um would cause him to be dropped in favour of Davis, to be honest. And I thought Reggie would be starting. I thought Davis plays in the old... Um, midweek game against Burnley away and Reggie would be back in so I was surprised but was there any other reasons with who maybe perhaps he was going to play against a lot on that side you know whether he thought Greenwood was going to play I don't know really I don't know I mean I want Reggie to play and I think he is the more dynamic of a fullback we all know that but um whether that shows we would be more defensive but I'm not sure why we would think we'd be more defensive United were coming off a back off a 5-0 spanking against the Liverpool so Right. I think I thought it was baff a baffling decision. And I think everything that you've mentioned, Ricky, like, oh, maybe Greenwood was playing or maybe wanted to be more defensive. Even with all those taken into account, mm. Reggie is still the better option for me. And um, and I yeah. thought because he played the Burnley game, I thought, OK, well, yeah, uh, Reggie will come back in for that. But then he played again. So it wasn't like Reggie played midweek as well and then needed a break. If it was down to purely his, you know, what happened in the West Ham game, like you said, that isolated incident, then that's that's you know sort of that's poor management but Bad i don't I, yeah. I don't think it would have been that i don't obviously i don't know for sure but yeah you know it's what what reggie uh, gives to the team in in every way is 
of more quality than what Davis brings to the team. I think Davis in the past has been reliable. He's been a reliable backup. He's been in the first team for a bit, but I think his time is kind of with the club is probably coming to a net, you know, to, to its kind of natural end. But yeah, I, I was baffled. Yeah, and awesome. I mean, you know, two defensively minded midfielders and then this fullback that's sitting against a side who are equally fragile, arguably more so, with, as I said, you know, relying on two players with a combined age of 70 to drag them over the line. I mean, these players are not going to be pressing us. So how did you feel when you saw that team sheet? To be honest, with the exception of Davies for Reggion, it was kind of the team I was expecting to see. Maybe Ndombele instead of Lo But I, I felt like the team almost picked itself before that lineup was revealed. I think the only reason why I would have justifiably put Davies in is if we went to a back three. And as we're learning, that's kind of been uh, drummed out of Nuno at our club. But... No, Davies was never a good answer at left back. I mean, we should say that the first half, again, this is where the margins for me are so important, you know, in terms of the personality with which you're being coached and and, and just the vibe of the club and, and so on. And Ram, you were there, so you can attest to this or not. You know, it seems like the atmosphere was was a little cagey, you know, and it felt that despite all of that... The first half, you know, we're holding our own. We're very comfortable. Obviously, we're going to have more of the ball, the way Man United are playing. And, you know, a little, one might say a little uh, sloppy in some of our executions going forward. Would that be fair to say? I think so, yeah. And and actually, at the start of the game, just before kickoff and, and when we were kicking off, the atmosphere was actually, um, the fans really got behind uh, the team, you know, and, and it was loud and it was, it was a little bit like how, how we like to, um, how we, how we like to hear ourselves you know there was it was a, it was a good atmosphere and we really started getting behind the team straight from the off and we didn't create much both teams I felt were very evenly matched um, up to that first goal we were pressing really well you know and that uh, including the front three were really pressing well I think if Sonny had converted his first chance then we possibly could have seen a different result because a man you were there for the taking you know as as were we it was such a it was such a kind of a, a funny not funny but like a, a strange sort of uh, position that both teams are in at the moment so it felt like if someone drew first blood it wasn't we wouldn't necessarily see a comeback from from the from the other team but I thought our defence looked solid um, Romero you know he's he, he kind of he just he makes defending look easy to be honest and um, and I was impressed with Royale again he was getting forward but he was also solid at the back yeah and I thought you know the midfield in general doing their job I do I don't you know that that those two Skip and Hoybier, I think if we just go back to what we were just chatting about previously with these two um, defensive midfielders I think that formation or those two together negates the best of Hoybier. And I thought last season Hoybier was, a, you know, he was one of our best performers and he was a leader on the pitch and things like that. And I don't think, you know, I feel like th- there's been a, a subsequent drop in form from him uh, with Skip and Hoiberg in, in the middle. But before the first goal, you know, they were kind of working well together and, and we weren't giving, we weren't giving them you know, we weren't giving them too much, but uh, although we weren't creating much ourselves. I mean, obviously United had a bit of a reset with a new system. And I mean, I'm not sure if Nuno could predict that or whether we trained for that or whether we coached for that. But it seemed like they'd also taken their cue a bit from West Ham, really. They thought we're not going to mm. press, we're going to sit in. And because we, well, from the statistics, it looks like you don't create a lot. You know, you're not very creative. So maybe we can soak that up. And of course, um I mean, they've, they, the two old men up front, they are quality. So if chances come their way, if they can serve them up with chances, um, it's likely they could take them. And I mean, you could say the same about us. I mean, Sun and Kane are obviously clinical at finishing as well. And to be honest, Kane didn't really create much 
And Sonny really was a bit hesitant with his finishing, I think. He wasn't, you know, as fluid as he can be. And, I mean, that led us up to the first goal, really, where, obviously, the quality did tell. I mean, it was an outstanding goal from Ronaldo. It was awful. I mean, I, when I was watching it, it was actually Halloween here, and it was uh, it was a, it was a, like watching a nightmare unfold, the whole naught shots on target thing. I mean, just going back to Skip and your point about did we pick a negative team, I mean, Skip's definitely impressed me this season even though we've we've not yeah. been great he has kind of seamlessly integrated into the team he's looked at home but I just feel maybe it started in the West Ham game I just feel that so many of his passes are the easy one you know backwards sideways even with Hoiberg or Hoiberg, we know that he can he can only play those balls as well but he has got more in his locker and I think we know that Skip's got more in his locker as well and it's like we're just not seeing it. It feels like he's short on confidence at the moment, as a lot of the players are. It's frustrating to watch. I think that's a symptom of the whole team, with the, as you say about the negative passing and the safe passing and and that kind of thing. I think um, I don't think you know, perceived or otherwise, their defensiveness is making us overly defensive. And I think by but by continuation, it's making us kind of less creative. And I think, as I say, that's a symptom of the whole team. I think they're just they're part of the kind of rabbit in the headlight approach we have, where we're not sure what anyone does when they get the ball, who they pass it to, who's helping each other, who's making runs for each other. It's it's a collective thing. Because, I mean, if you were to compare, I mean, the characteristics of uh, Skip and Hoiberg, they're not too dissimilar to Cater and Henderson or um, Jorginho or Kovacic. And the thing that supports them is that the system of the rest of the team supports them. It makes it work, in it? And we've got our own example. I remember if you go back to... Um, Pochi's days and when Dembele couldn't play too much I always thought Dyer and Wanyama that's never going to work that's way too defensive and of course it did it did it's, you still went to the game it's because the whole rest of the connectedness of the team was a well-functioning yeah. old machine and of course we're miles away from that miles away from that at the moment and I think actually I mean just to just to say as we came into half time even though we were one goal down to a goal that I think you know was was very a very naive concession and I think you know you'd have Ben Davis in there supposedly because he is a more defensively minded left back and because he is going to stop that that position from being a dangerous one yeah but instead he's got caught in what i consider to be the most neutral of positions he's between a rock and a hard place quite literally and i very very naive from him i felt in his positioning it was a great goal no taking away from the execution but there's absolutely no way that ben davis should be letting ronaldo receive that ball i mean there's no no two ways about it however good the cross was he's got to be there he's got to be there and he wasn't yeah no i, I don't particularly agree with that i think that if he drops to yards further back so maybe he can make the header he's given Ronaldo a bit of well it's not given Ronaldo space because he's noticed that he's not noticed that Ronaldo's dropped off but Ronaldo has scored from an absolutely acute angle there the two bits of quality there was when it left um, Fernandez laces straight onto Ronaldo's laces it was pinpoint they went on about Ronaldo's movement Ronaldo's movement wasn't exceptional if you that's the kind of movement you need to do if you're going to be a good or slightly better player you just drop off slightly and go deep if Davis came further out He's then a bit more susceptible to the flat ball where Ronaldo comes blindside in front of him and heads it in. That's all I'll say. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, Steph. I'm just saying that there's not much in it. There's not much in it. That's all I'm saying. There's two ways to look at it. There isn't much in it. But for me, he's got to be dropping a yard slightly, a slightly, a slightly squarer yard, if you will, behind him. So as he at least holds Ronaldo up from thinking about taking that shot. I don't care if he doesn't win the header, but you can't give a player like Ronaldo an opportunity to take a shot like that. Yeah, I agree. The player's exceptional. So. The player's exceptional, you can take no risks. And your first, even though I don't think Ben Davis is 
I mean, Ben Davies rarely wins a header in those sorts of situations unless he's, you know, relatively tight to the guy. I think you do have your first port of call for me is to make sure that Ronaldo has to think about what he's going to do. Don't let mm. him be instinctive. So that was my take. Having said okay. that, I have, no, no, it was, but it was an equally fair point. Having said yeah, yeah. that, I still felt going into half time that game was very much for the taking. And I think what's fascinating is that we're all saying relatively similar things. We have a team that have the talent and the opportunity to take a very weak side ahead of us, yet for some reason, we're not able to connect those dots. The personality required to come back and take that game simply did not happen. And we can look back and, I mean, look, I personally think if you're going to play Ben Davis playing two defensive midfielders is ridiculous. It just doesn't make sense at all. There's no, there's no sense in it whatsoever. However, we did that. And so you're thinking, okay, maybe the second half is going to see Nuno make a positive change, knowing that we have to take this game, knowing that Manchester United's combined age of over 70 forwards are not going to press, knowing that there's space in there if we just have the bravery to go for it and take it. So I'm thinking this game might well happen. Instead, we start the second half and we clearly see that it's going to be more of the same. Am I right when I say that? Am I right when I say that, Awesome? Absolutely. We didn't look like we had any any fight in us or patterns to our play. I mean, I've I got to be honest, when I saw us go 1-0 down, I couldn't, I couldn't see us coming back into it. It felt like we were on a rudderless ship. You know, the, for Spurs teams of the past where I've seen us go 2 or 3-0 down and I still had held hope we could get something out of the game, this team go 1-0 down and... And I worry. I worry about where we're going to get our goal because, you know, there is a lack of width. There's a lack of creativity. We are, and I don't know if it, if it is a tactical thing, but our, our first port of call when we're receiving the ball in the field seems to be, or, or just in the opponent's half, is to play it back and then try and work it around. So to that point, Ricky, let me ask you, when you look at our front three, yeah, and it's very important we look at our front three when we're talking about that ball constantly going sideways or backwards, because we can talk about fear and we can talk about maybe not having the personality to impress yourself on the play and take it. But there's no point taking it forward or impressing yourself if there's nothing ahead of you to take it to or to, to play to. So yeah, Tell us what you thought of our front three in the early part of that second half. Were they moving enough? Were they showing enough? This is the moment of the pod where we have to talk about Harry Kane once again. Harry simply doesn't look at the races, right? No, I think Kane definitely is a problem. I thought earlier in the week, he's basically, I had this comment with Kane. He's like, he's, he's not disinterested in football, but he's disinterested in our cause, basically. He's, that's what I see him at the moment. He's, he love, you know, he likes to be on a football pitch and he'll get involved, but he's not going that extra mile at the moment for us. And Sun looked like he was going to come into some form when he kind of took the game to Wolves or Villa, one of them. And, um, but he's, I don't know. And the thing, if, if a team sit in, this is a continuation of the West Ham game last week. If a team sit in, we just aren't doing any kind of rotations, any kind of moving around. And I think if Sun is in tight spaces, I don't actually think his touch is that good. It does ping off him sometimes. If he's further out wide and he's got a bit more space, he'll take it in and he'll face the person up. But whenever we carry the ball forward, if there is space, like Bergwin done this the other day in another game, he, he kind of goes down the left and he goes at his player, but he's never like, it looks like he's either going on his own because he's not got a thought in the world necessarily about who I might be passing to, if someone's coming on my left or coming. And, and those kind of, it's just, we really are devoid of options. Uh, a player gets it, 
they control it, they look up, they take a touch on it, they look up again, they turn to the side, turn to the right. And as we've said earlier, the, the large, largely the outcome is the negative, not the negative ball, but the safe ball. And we're just making no progress with that. And we just, we're just so lacking in ideas. And we had similar stuff under Mourinho sometimes. And this, Ram, before I bring you in, comes to a, what probably the pivotal point of the game. I believe it was the 56th minute, which is fairly early to make a substitution uh, for Nuno. I would suggest, and I know that Milo felt very similarly to me in this regard, and I think we probably all maybe felt this, that you would have thought that maybe Reggie was going to come on to offer us that extra width. He didn't, but he's made a like-for-like substitution when the opportunity was there to take a holding midfielder off and maybe play La Celso deeper in that role, maybe put more in the number 10 and maybe put Bergwijn right and see if you can actually spark some creativity. Instead, he's made this like-for-like change and, 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 and just tell us, the feeling in the stadium when that happened, both that you experienced and what you yourself felt. When um when the board went up and you know we saw it was Lucas going off uh, for Bergwijn, it was it was really unsettling to hear the the booing because it wasn't. I said before the pod, it felt to me. I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of the south stand, but it did feel to me like it was the majority that was booing. It wasn't like a section of the crowd or whatever. There was a there was a very much a. Um, a feeling around the ground that this was the wrong decision um you know and then there was some chance of you don't know what you're doing it was intense and I, and I, you know again I said it before the pod it, I, I didn't even hear that when the last man was in charge um from what I can remember at the lane and these subs that they didn't really inspire any chance of a comeback to me again because it what it was a like for like substitution and I think in these moments um you need to make a change you need to change the change the system or do something that's different or go against you know do something that's going to make the opposition think uh or have to think in a different way a question for you though ram do you think they were booing because of the reason steph gave or do you think they were booing because we took off a player that sometimes does some eye-catching stuff and tries hard but so my my take on it was that they were booing because Lucas was probably one of our better performers on the pitch and he was he was he really looked like he was trying when you're watching these players in the flesh he really was trying you know and I think um I think it was more a case of that rather than anything else and they were like okay take bring Bogwan on but why are you taking Lucas off when he's been you know, one of our better mm. players up front and actually trying to make something happen. I mean, I think we said this before, though. It's slightly ironic because I think in a, if we had a team that functioned well, we then wouldn't want more on the pitch doing the things he does. Yeah. So there's slightly ironic in, yeah. you know, he would be he would be doing the things that he does that nine times out of ten don't end up being productive yeah. and breaking up the rhythm of a team. Like if he did that for Man City, he just wouldn't be playing. So, oh, yeah. I mean, exactly. But I mean, at, at that point of the game, and I agree with you, it's a conundrum. He's mm. always been a conundrum because he's a futsal player playing at playing an 11 aside game but you did need his energy on the pitch for at least 10 15 more minutes i think just to try and and spark something but i did think that that, that particular stuff was kind of slightly weird that it seemed such a defining moment for the fans in mm. their kind of like you know aggression towards nuno do you know what we, we uh the fans fans were getting frustrated after the first goal but it was quite quite towards the end of the um the first half when we came out the fans did get behind the team but very quickly it turned and I mm. think I think everyone was just well, well a lot of fans were, were just fed up and they I also noticed this was 
I don't know if it's happened at away or whether it's happened at games I've not been at, but this felt like a bit of a turning point where the fans started getting on Kane's back as well because there was a couple of moments where he really just looked, he he was chasing for a ball or something like that and his heart wasn't in it. Mm. And it was and it was a real, you could hear the fans, I mean, I won't repeat what they said but <laughs> around me, but yeah, it was a, it was a real turning point moment, I think. And we'd had um, four away games as well, hadn't we? So mm. that was the first time the home crowd oh, was yeah. back in for a while. So yeah, do you think that more substitution could have just come at the time when it was gave the fans the opportunity to have a you know have a vent for the, the the previous few games? I mean, you know, you can obviously boo at any stage in the game, but half time tends to be one moment. Substitutions tend to be another moment, especially when they're not obviously the substitution that's needed. I, I, you know, the fans did boo at half time, but I, I felt that that might have been at the referee rather than at the team because uh, I, th- I think the fans were getting behind the team. But I'm, I'm not sure about that, also, whether it was a chance for them to have their first vent because again, we were the goal really silenced us in the first half. It really did, but we came out fighting again in the second half, and I think it was just a case of why are you taking him off? He's, he seems to be the one that's like really kind of create like trying to create something in that final third Uh, i think we're back to this very very odd intersection between passion with a u yeah and 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 the reality of what's not happening on the pitch in terms of connectivity electricity uh and and some sort of verve and spark all of those things i mean games rely on catalytic moments especially games like this i mean if you're not controlling the game in any way you need to create catalytic moments whether that be you know in the old world language of the likes of Graham Souness a crunching tackle or you need something to get the crowd going and it just doesn't seem that this team or this manager can either either tuned in on that level understand that level which to me is incongruous I don't believe that so it leaves me wondering why there isn't someone stepping up to do that I understand you play to patterns and I understand you play to to to, to shapes and time but at a certain point your pros have to step up at a moment and say this is i'm taking charge and at one nil down despite a crappy substitution we're still in it so why do we think this is not happening at our football club in all honesty steph i think those moments that you talk about are yeah crunching tackles are one thing but the ultimate moment is a goal and we're very short on goals <laughs> which is you know, making us very short on confidence. So many of these players, if if they score, then they look like different players for the, you know, the next 15, 20 minutes. But we're just, we're getting so few of them. We're the third lowest scorers in the league. So we're getting very few of, them, few of these game-changing moments. I think, I mean, like Ram alluded to earlier, I mean, it, our response to going behind is a worry and we just seem so... We, we, so often for the game, we're so flat and we're incapable of building like a head of steam up ever. Because you see other teams and, you know, it becomes a bit, you know, a bit of a siege and that kind of thing. And we're just so, so passive. Yeah. And, and Hoybier made a cryptic comment after the game, alluding to a lack of fight and commitment, which really was quite concerning to me because he's one of the players we sort of looked at in the last couple of years as being that. And, you know, let us not rob him of his moment in the second goal. I mean, everyone's looking at Skip and blaming Skip for that second goal. I thought, actually, if I could be blunt, I thought the pass to Skip at that moment was almost a coward's pass. You know, it was playing him directly into trouble uh, in a very vulnerable position in the field. And and then he really didn't show much appetite to get back and try and help cover his mistake. I mean, he was trotting along. And I'm not saying that he could have got back and made a difference. But we did see a Manchester United player in the first half absolutely leathering it back 
to get a foot across. I think it was a, I think it was Sonny's shot. You know, where where was that from Pierre at that point? And and what is that comment of lack of fighting commitment? Uh, just before the pod, actually, I watched the goals back for the first time since actually being at the stadium, and and I totally agree on the um, uh, Hoybier's role in that in that goal. It, it was it was a it was a suicide pass essentially. You know, and and um, I, th- I actually think Hoybier is one of those players where he's. He's kind of dining on on kind of how good he has been for us at the moment, and I I don't think that's necessarily all on him. I think that the system doesn't work for him. Like we you know we mentioned before about the two holding players, it kind of negates his what the quality that he has brought to the team. But yeah, if you're gonna f- try and fire a rocket up everyone's ass after the game in a, in a press conference or you know in, in an interview, that should be happening on the pitch. You should be showing leadership on the pitch. When we went one nil down, the only player that um was geeing up the rest of the players and, and had his head up was once again Eric Dyer. Um but Hoybier is one of those players we should be looking at to doing that as well as Kane. You know, these are players that have already shown they can be leaders and now more than any time is the time to be showing that okay and so just to bring us forward because uh, we are running into that sticky period where we could try and find the answers to our 3-0 defeat against Manchester United we'd be trying forever we're not going to come up with them um it's it's fairly clear you know it would be rude of me not to make note of uh Harry's moment where he broke away and it was just really just a sad embodiment of the state of the club um you know and probably a sadder thing was that when you look at Manchester United you know we've made them look good and as a matter of fact as we come to one positive one negative in the game I'm going to offer up first that that was probably the one positive is that we possibly have kept Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in a job for a, for a little while longer and perhaps that leaves fourth somewhat within our grasp if we can get our own collective acts together. Um, also, I will say I thought Stuart Atwell as a referee had one of the best refereeing performances I've seen all season and I really noticed I thought he was very good. Um, the negatives we've covered. So, positive, negative, Ricky? Uh, well, a positive was that um, regardless of the result and a bit of a shit show it was that we were, I couldn't believe on Saturday I looked at the table and we were still just two points off Champions League and um, Europa League but now the Happy Hammers have won I think they're five points ahead of us so that's sort of a neg- that's a positive that's slightly faded okay uh, next up in the positive negatives uh, Ram awesome fight for it <laughs> who wants in Alanis you go first oh, no, go. <laughs> <laughs> sing it no don't don't don't, <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> Um, so uh, positives like I said earlier Romero makes defending look oh. easy he's strong doesn't isn't that give ironic inch. I was going to say that oh. <laughs> we can have a joint you, positive negatives you're both saying okay. it together go on okay. you ought to know awesome, that I was going to oh. say Romero um, and Royale, you know, Royale another, again another solid performance I think he could do really well in a system which allows him to get forward more as well and you know and, um, but he was, he was solid defensively and, and Skip it, bar the mistake which led to the goal, I thought you know he's he had just, he had a solid game. You know he, he does what he needs to do. He's, he he doesn't you know he's he's there and thereabouts holding that midfield. Negative Davis caught out positionally. Didn't offer anything that Reg, Reggie couldn't and do and do better. Kane, in spite of the lack of creativity and service around 
and to him, he just looks tepid. He looks like he's feeling sorry for himself. And by his own incredibly high standards, he's, I think, I feel like he's letting himself down, you know. Um, and I know I, I said this in, in our WhatsApp group, I hold him up to um, impeccable standards. Um, and maybe, so maybe perhaps I need to be more realistic that maybe he is just having a run of bad form, but I, I feel like he should be doing a lot more. Yeah, like I said, Romero would be my, my positive and my negative would be just the, the no patterns of play. It's very hard to understand what, what we're trying to do on the training field or translate into the match days. Well said. Earlier in the week, we won a football match. We beat Burnley at Turf Moor in the, uh, in, in, in the very, very important and uh, salubrious League Cup or the Mighty Carabao Cup, as we will now refer to it because it's a trophy we can win. Lucas Moura scored with a downward header. All seemed well. Yeah, of course, our reward is that we drew another Claret and Blue team. Uh, you know, just to, just 30 quick seconds on this game. Let's let's go around the circle. Uh, Ricky, 30 seconds on the mighty victory at Burnley. An incredibly huge game of huge importance. Yeah, I thought it was um, quite similar to the Villa game, really, when we beat Villa at home. You know, Burnley didn't really give us too much threat. And um, I thought we attacked reasonably well in this one. And we, I think we actually, it was quite interesting when I think La Celso and Dembele and Hoiberg were all on. We started to uh, pass the ball in little spells quite quickly, i.e. not taking five touches and looking around, you know, for like 10 minutes to pass it to someone. So, um, yeah, but we, yeah, we got through. And Mora, I think I kind of maybe said some things in the chat, in the chat about then. Uh, Julie obliged and stepped up and scored, so I had to like um, apologise. <laughs> Humble pie. <Yeah. laughs> Excellent, Ram. Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with most. You know, almost all of that. I think, well, no, not almost. I agree with all of that, Ricky. Um, Didn't say much. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I thought, yeah, you're right. I thought, you know, Lucas, uh, great. It was a great assist for Royale as well. Um, assist for Lucas's header. Um, I also want to say it was nice to see Lennon, Aaron Lennon, come on against us, and you know, and not a lot of fans. Uh, I realise know of his journey since he left us, but also this is a good opportunity to plug um, a previous pod we uh, we did where we looked at back at past players, and it's a good opportunity to know more about Lennon. It was just it was great to see him. He's been through a lot, and he came on. Thankfully, didn't score or provide an assist, but uh, was it's always a pleasure seeing a, a real a true servant to the club. Um, Super Aaron Lennon. <laughs> Awesome. The only thing I'll add to that is it was nice to see us keep a clean sheet. It was a great header by Mora. Yeah, nice to see a, a decent cross from from either flank. And uh, yeah, we live on in in the in the quest for a trophy. West Ham at home. The quest for a trophy, <laughs> indeed. The quest for a trophy, oh. indeed, brings us to the future. And Vitesse on Thursday night, we host them in the Proletariat Champions League. We sit third in our group on four points. Vitesse on six and Rennes on seven. And after this game, we've got Moore away and Rennes at home. I mean, you know, look, we should win this group. Am I correct? Are you confident? Just just one word answer here. Ricky, confident, yes or no? Uh, Yes. That was two words. Awesome, yeah, yeah. confident, yes or no? No, you're cut off. No, 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 you're cut off. You're cut off. Stuttering, yes. That sounds like a stiff records artist from the <laughs> 70s. Awesome. No. Ram. Yes. He's shaking his head. He's got it all wrong. <laughs> yes. Everton, after that, we travel to Merseyside to play our Scouse twin. 
Another blue and white team. Uh, look, they're a bit wobbly as well. Rafa Benitez is a wise old, uh, wise old fish, though, isn't he? Or owl? Would he be an owl or a fish, Rafa? Waiter. Hey. I'll call him waiter. <laughs> a wise old waiter. Oh, there we go. Thank you very much. All right. Once again, let's uh, uh, let's let's say two or three words. Is it going to happen, Ricky, at Everton? Well, the match. Yeah, it'll definitely take place. There's no snow predicted. <laughs> There's always a smart ass somewhere in the room. Are we gonna? Are we gonna batter? I think we've process. had some quite good games out there where we have kind of turned it on and, you know, so I think, yeah, they're, they're, they're flaky. I mean, obviously we could be flaky, but they might be flakier. So so a flakier victory. I think they showed against Watford that they, they can be as bad as anyone in the league, apart from Norwich. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and maybe away from home, a little bit less pressure from our fans. Maybe, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as pessimistic about this Everton game as I am about our chances of topping the group in Europe. Graham? Um, I feel if we score first, I'll be confident. Um, but if they do, um, I'm not as confident. I struggle to see a way back. But I'm hoping Dr. Tottenham is taking a well-deserved break because uh, he's been very busy. <laughs> that reminds me, I was going to sing that, wasn't I? Yeah, Dr. Tottenham, Dr. Tottenham's here to make you, to make you feel all right. There's a, a Dr. Feelgood. That's hitting the floor, yeah. by the way. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. If I, if, I, if I sang, you got to sing. Oh. Yeah, but that wasn't singing. That was warbling and not remembering the lyrics. I can't even remember the lyrics to Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood, Dr. which actually Feel might be... Good. No, it might be a positive, that. Anyway, yeah, to right. bring things to a close, one final message... Daniel Levy, let me tell you what you really need to do to help Paratici and Nuno. My Spaniel's just come in from a walk and reminded me that if you fly me and awesome and bring us all together for games on a regular basis, I can then pet a bomb sniffing Spaniel, have a whiskey and we will win. Because when that happens, we always do. Please pay attention, Daniel. It's a small outlay for a massive return. And Paratici and Nuno and every Tottenham Hotspur fan will thank you. And thank you, lads. That was excellent. Really good chat. It was uh, really good. We managed to once again maintain our cool and understand that Tottenham Hotspur is a life, not a moment. And so this <laughs> journey is going to go on and on and on, up and down, sideways and wherever. Perhaps we wouldn't have it any other way. Right? Cheers, Steph. I don't know. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Steph. Yeah, Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Clairvoyance will know that we'll be looking back at our games against Vitesse and Everton. Uh, You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, so give us a follow, say hello. If you really like The Game Is About Glory, we'd really appreciate it. If you could tell your friends on social media and message boards and maybe take the time to write a review yourself. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week 